This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. If you ask someone from Miami who's really into Cuban sandwiches where they originated from, they're very likely to say Miami, of course. Ask the same question to someone from Tampa, and they'll say, of course, it's Tampa. Over the decades, there have even been claims made that what we consider to be the modern Cuban sandwich first showed up in Key West. On today's show, we're digging into the history of the Cuban sandwich with two of the co-authors of the new book, The Cuban Sandwich, A History in Layers. It's an interesting blend of culinary history and Cuban history that traces the Cuban sandwich's path from the late 1800s to now being found in restaurants all over the world. I spoke with them last week. Let's hear that conversation now. Barbara Cruz is professor of social science education at University of South Florida. Barbara, thanks for being with us today. Good morning. And Jeff Houck is Vice President of Marketing for 1905 Family of Restaurants and former food editor, writer, and blogger for the Tampa Tribune. Jeff, thanks to you as well. Thank you for having us. I appreciate it. So for starters, uh, just tell us a bit about yourselves and your backgrounds. Barbara, let's uh, start with you. Sure. Thanks, Mike. You know, for, for this particular project that I've been working on for the last couple of years with my co-authors, the thing that's relevant here for me, is that I am Cuban-American. I was born on the island. I was raised in Miami, and I've spent the vast part of my adult life in Tampa. And arguably, those three places, Cuba, Miami, and Tampa, are really at the center of the Cuban sandwich story. Uh, Jeff, what about you? You know, I grew up in St. Petersburg, right across the 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 bay from tampa and um you know i was a food writer for a good long time and got to know tampa's food culture from uh you know uh, a journalism standpoint but you know when i was growing up in st pete i uh i didn't really have a lot of exposure to cuban sandwiches it might as well have been another part of the country it was a very tampa-centric kind of food that didn't really travel it's changed a little bit now but, uh, you know, it's it's been a great experience falling in love with the Cuban sandwich. Let's just say that. Hmm. Uh, you're with the 1905 family of restaurants. Can you just real quickly explain, you know, that is that is an evolution from something else that most of us know, right? That's correct. Yeah, we up until recently were the Columbia Restaurant Group. And the Columbia in the name is referring to the Columbia Restaurant, which was founded in Ybor City in 1905. Hence the 1905 family of restaurants are still family owned after five generations. But we have multiple restaurants that aren't the Columbia that uh, are different brands, so we decided to change the name. But we still serve at the Columbia what we call the original Cuban sandwich, which is our recipe from at least 1915. That's the first printed version we can find. Um, but we still do it the same way. We still roast our own pork, um, bake our own you know, glazed ham. You know, We do everything as, as closely as possible to what was experienced back then. But we're sort of known as say the Rosetta Stone of Cuban sandwiches. It's everybody's a little bit of time travel because you're literally eating a Cuban sandwich that was served 117 years ago. I love that, the Rosetta Stone of Cuban sandwiches. Um, so Barbara, how did this book come about and how did you and Jeff and Andrew, the other co-author, you know, come together to put it together? Well, Andy Hughes is a librarian and historian and Florida studies aficionado uh, who also happens to love food. And he had been working on a number of projects and had this additional information about the Cuban sandwich that, you know, he had written about it before, as has Jeff, by the way. And at some point he realized that he wanted to dive even deeper. And he reached out to me and he reached out to Jeff to join him in this effort. 
And it has just been such a, a glorious ride. At, at first, we weren't quite sure if we were going to have enough to fill up a whole book. And boy, did we. As we started doing the deep dive in, in the historical record, interviewing people who lovingly craft the sandwich all over the world, it really turned into this, this labor of love that we've enjoyed immensely. You know, it's a really interesting blend of Cuban sandwich history and just plain Cuban history. I really uh, learned a lot from it and enjoyed it. So thanks, thanks to you all. Um, so before we get to some of the history, um, Barbara, what's your earliest memory of Cuban sandwiches? You know, I'd have to say that it would be in Little Havana, right, which is right in, in Miami, Florida. I was a little girl. My dad would stop at one of the many ventanitas, you know, so ventana is window, ventanita is a little window, and there would be these walk-ups at restaurants and at bakeries oftentimes. And you would go, lots of times it would be men, sometimes there's some women there, but mostly men, they would pick up a colada, which is like a big cup of Cuban coffee, strong and sweet. It would be served with a little stack of small mini paper cups. And you would oftentimes take that colada to your place of work and you would share it, you know, with your coworkers. Everybody would kind of take a shot. And this would be done many times during the day. So I accompanied my dad and at the window, you know, I was allowed to to pick something. Sometimes it would be a croqueta, right? Sometimes it could be a pastry, a, a guava and cheese pastry, which would be super yummy. And one day I ordered a Cuban sandwich and it came crispy and hot and filling and it was cut on a very sharp diagonal and that little point from each half was perfect for dunking into my very sweet cafe con leche which of course as a, as a kid you know we we grew up on on cuban coffee but not straight up right that was something that adults did but we would have ours cut with sugar and milk and it was the perfect accompaniment to the cuban sandwich uh, Jeff, what about you? What's your early Cuban sandwich memory? You know, it's all kind of relative. As I said, I grew up in St. Pete, so it really wasn't that much exposure. I uh, I worked for a little while outside of Florida in Alaska and then moved back in the early 1990s uh, and worked for a period of time in the Palm Beach Post. And the earliest that I could remember is that there was a restaurant called Havana, uh, a little bit south of West Palm. And Barb and I were talking about it recently, and I said that you know, the Palomilla steak, which is sort of a pounded, breaded, fried, thinly cut steak was sort of my gateway to the Cuban sandwich because I was like, oh, OK, well, if this is delicious, I wonder what else is. And they had had Cuban sandwiches stacked in the window. And I'm like, that doesn't look very hygienic. But the best part about the sandwiches is that without vegetation, it's extremely shelf stable. And they had prepared for the day by by pre-building a bunch of sandwiches. So I had one and um, I understood immediately what the appeal was it was it was crunchy and it was salty and sweet and had a little bit of a tang to it with the pickles and the mustard um, theirs was sort of the northern reaches of what a miami cuban would be served so um you know that was sort of my first baptism for it and uh and i remember it vividly because they also had a ventanita window um i also had a cafe con leche super sugary super creamy and I was like, yeah, I could live here sort of, I guess, for the rest of my life doing this. This is awesome. Hmm. Um, so even before I read your book, I was aware of, you know, is it a Miami thing? Is it a Tampa thing? Maybe it's a Key West thing. But from reading your book, it seems pretty clear to me that Miami was sort of late to the game. And Tampa is pretty much where it first 
came to its modern form. Is that a fair assessment? I, you know what? I think that's fair. You know, it, what Andy's extraordinary research found is that it started as the mixto sandwich in Cuba. And by mixto, it had a mixture of different uh, ingredients. And it being an island, it, uh, you know, sometimes you had this, sometimes you had that. But the interesting thing was that Andy found that it had things like turkey and mortadella and it has salchichon sausage um, at various times in various places. You know, there were times where it was a one ingredient sandwich and times where it had multiple ingredients and the multiple ingredients were, were, you know, sandwiches that rich people could afford because one protein costs a lot and then you have multiple and that's, that's a different equation. Um, but as it migrated through Key West and then to Tampa, I think the, the, the version of the Cuban sandwich that America fell in love with and by the way, it was still called the Mixto, even at the at the Columbia restaurant back in the early 1900s. You know, the thing that became the Cuban sandwich that people fell in love with happened in Tampa. And, you know, it uh, it migrated to Miami in the uh, in the late 50s, you know, especially early 60s after the revolution in Cuba um, more heavily. But it's I think the home of the Cuban sandwich could safely be said to be in Tampa. Uh, you might call the capital of the of the sandwich is now Miami with all the energy and the politics and the and the social identity uh, being so energetic there. But where it became what it became happened in Tampa first. You know, it was I was interested to learn. You know, I had heard the of the Earl of Sandwich before, which was the guy who kind of invented the mm-hmm. meat between breads, and um, but also you know sandwiches weren't really a thing in Cuba until. Uh, or explain, uh, Barbara, you know, what, what would be traditional Cuban food and kind of when did a sandwich enter that discourse? Mm-hmm. Certainly, you know, some kind of meat between two pieces of bread was on the island for a number of years. And we start seeing a huge surgence in this in the late 1800s. Um, when we looked at newspapers published in Cuba and restaurant menus from Cuba in the 1920s is when we really start seeing the mixto showing up. Before then, you would have a pan con bistec, right? So a bread with steak, literally. Pan con jamón, you know, with ham. Pan con croqueta, you know, that kind of thing. And it was like a one meat thing. But when the advent of the mixto, we start seeing all kinds of columns in the Cuban newspapers telling housewives how they can make their own at home. And as Jeff was saying, they had all manner of things, eggs, uh, deviled ham, turkey, um, sometimes tuna. I mean, things that we wouldn't necessarily associate with a Cuban sandwich today. But Cuban food, uh, generally, there are a lot of rice and bean dishes, as you know. Um, moros y cristianos, the Moors and Christians, referring to the black beans and the white rice. Picadillo, which is kind of like a, a ground beef hash, but that is very much tied to Spain and very much tied to the Moors. It has raisins in it, for example. It's got tomato sauce in it. Um, we love pork dishes, all manner of pork dishes after the, the, the Spaniards introduced hogs to the island. And of course, all manner of tubers and, and root vegetables like yuca and malanga and sweet potatoes. And of course, we got to talk about the sweets, the sweets and pastries like flan and all of the flaky pastries that we associate with the ventanitas, you know, of Cuban of Cuban restaurants. 
I want to take a moment to reintroduce our guests. Uh, Barbara Cruz is professor of social science education at the University of South Florida, and Jeff Houck is vice president of marketing for the 1905 family of restaurants and former food editor, writer, and blogger for the Tampa Tribune. If you'd like to engage with us about our conversation, we invite you to do so using WGCU social media. Find the post for this episode on our Facebook or Twitter pages. Um, let's talk about the bread. Uh, Cuban bread is a very distinctive kind of bread. It's part of what makes the sandwich so perfect. Um, when did the um, modern, what we call Cuban bread, come to uh, the United States? It started in Tampa, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I think it's, um, again, one of those things where it's, you can sign a, a, sort of see the evolution of man, you can see the evolution of bread. There clearly was bread on the island. It made its way through Key West as people fled from you know, the War of Independence and from the Spanish-American War, they brought their food customs with them. Um, you know, some people fled to different ports up and down the East Coast. But, you know, the bread that everybody knows today really kind of came to form in Tampa. And the interesting thing is, uh, and I think emblematic of the sandwich itself is, the people who were known for baking Cuban bread so expertly were people of Sicilian descent who were in Tampa, the hmm. More family with La Segunda Central Bakery. Um, you had the Ferlita family who had a bakery in the heart of Ybor City that was making 35,000 loaves uh, a week. That bakery burned down. They were in such high production that they built up around those ovens because those ovens made such perfect bread. They're like, we're not going to mess with that. But uh, my one of my favorite stories that didn't make it in the book is that there was a man his name was Vincente Marti, which is a loaded name in itself. And his job was as a stonemason to repair the ovens at the Ferlita Bakery. He would wrap himself in wet burlap and they would put him in an oven like a loaf of bread. He would be in there for 15, 20 minutes at a time before they'd have to pull him out and almost revive him. But the production was, you know, if you cool down an oven uh, long enough, that puts you behind on production. And this man's bravery uh, and expertise allowed them to keep in production. That's how much bread was in demand. Um, the houses in Tampa had a nail in the side of the house in Ybor City where the bread delivery man or would take the bread and just go thump and nail it to, you know, impale it on the, on the bread on the side of the house. Um, I've had people ask me, well, why didn't people steal the Cuban bread? I'm like, because everybody had it. You know, if you go now, you can still see nails on the outside of the houses where, where bread was delivered. So bread was an absolutely essential part of life in Tampa in general. But it's also emblematic of uh, when all the different groups, the Spanish, the Cubans, the Italians, the Germans, the Jews all, all came to Tampa, unlike other cities where they would separate into their own neighborhoods. They all lived and worked together in the cigar factories and assimilated and intermingled uh, just like the ingredients of a Cuban sandwich, to be honest. Um, explain the, uh, the, the reason for the palmetto leaves on the top of uh, authentic Cuban sandwich loaves. So there's a couple reasons. First of all, if you look at the, at the Cuban bread that's made, say, at La Segunda, they take palm leaves, they cut them you know, from the base, and they drape them along, they split them and they drape them uh, along the top to help the bread separate, to, to give it uh, a place to rise and, and to let the gases out of the bread. Um, you know, Andy Hughes, the, the researcher we were co-authors with, also uh, surmised that it's a, it was sort of an unofficial temperature gauge. When the, when the palm leaves started to look a certain way or got too crispy, then they knew it was time for the bread to come out. It's uh, it's a simple method, and it uh, 
it's very uniquely uh, Tampa and very uniquely La Segunda. Uh, we served that bread and have served it for 107 years at the Columbia restaurant. And a lot of people say, there's a hair in my, no, that's palm leaf. That hmm. is not a hair. It is, it is, you know, baked palm leaf that is a sign of the, the craftsmanship of the bakers. And La Segunda is still making uh, bread for Colombia and other restaurants, and they're expanding. I just read a thing on your blog that they expanded last year, so they're, they're cranking out tons of bread these days, I presume. They are. They, they do three shifts a day, and, um, you know, they supply bread that not only we get a couple shipments a day here in Ybor City, but they par-bake it so we can we can finish baking it at all of our locations around the state of Florida. Um, we use it for Cuban French toast at uh, our, our diner restaurant, Goody Goody. It's that good. I mean, it is just such a, a, a Tampa flavor and a Tampa experience. Um, you know, the Ybor City breakfast, if you wanted to call it that, would be a cafe con leche and a pressed piece of buttered Cuban bread that you would dip into your cafe con leche. All the cool kids now put butter in their coffee for keto and all that other stuff. We've been doing it for decades. Uh, Barbara, one of the other interesting historical tidbits I learned from the book is that they, you know, we know of the Cuban sandwiches being pressed these days. Um, apparently, Taylor's irons were how they pressed the first ones there in Tampa. Yes. Um, Jeff can actually tell you more about that. But yes, uh, Taylor's irons um, were the first ones to be used. Uh, the plancha comes in a little bit later. I know that Jeff has shared with me that at the Columbia, because the Cuban bread in Tampa is crispy already, oftentimes the sandwiches were just put into the ovens and warmed up and crisped up that way. In other words, it, the plancha, right, literally iron, um, didn't come into the story until a little bit later. Isn't that right, Jeff? That's correct. Yeah, the we have um, we have um, newspaper columns and whatnot from the '40s where it's they're literally put in a heated oven. It wasn't until the late '50s that you know the the sandwich started taking off in Miami that the plancha came in because the consistency of the bread in in Miami is is crusty but it's not crunchy. And to get to what people's expectations were, you'd have to put it in a plancha, butter it the outside, put it in a plancha press, and then press down on it. You know, our our third generation owner, Cesar Gonsmart, used to put a stack of dinner plates on top to get that super thin profile on the sandwich that made it easier to eat. You know, and and I know down at, in, in the book, we actually talk about uh, the iconic Miami restaurant, Versailles, that... Um, they are, I think they just celebrated 50 years and they press it open faced first. They, they have the, the roast pork up on one side and they have the ham on the other side. They press it and get a good sear and then they press it together as one to kind of hurry along the process. You know, it's really uh, uh, Miami brought the press because Miami had to, to kind of get to the, the same experience. You don't want a sandwich where you bite into the bread and you get and you have to pull at the sandwich. That's not a good experience. So making it crispy yet tender um, is a vital part of the Cuban sandwich experience. That's why when you see people make them with uh, panini or they use ciabatta, it's an entirely different sandwich. You might have the same ingredients or similar profile of flavors, but there's something about the architecture of the sandwich that works better with with crispy yet tender Cuban bread. So at the Columbia, the Cuban sandwich, what are the ingredients? Does it include salami, I guess, is the question. Absolutely includes salami. Um, yeah, we start out, you know, the, the loaf is split in two. And on the bottom, you start with 
uh, ham that has been scored on the outside and glazed. And then, you know, we take a torch and, and add that kind of caramelization to it. So we take a slice of that, a uh, couple slices of that. We put uh, roast pork that's been marinated in moho and roasted. And uh, we, sli- we, you know, that's sliced and put on top of the ham. Then comes the Genoa salami with black peppercorns. Not a lot of places use black peppercorns because you have to literally import it. And that sort of went out of favor a while back domestically. So we import our, our Genoa salami. A lot of Miami people will say salami doesn't belong. But as our book shows, salchichon, which is a Spanish sausage, was a part of the sandwich on Cuban uh, soil. So take that. Anyway, on top of the salami, <laughs> then comes the Swiss cheese. And Barb actually found a, a gentleman. Swiss cheese is like, everybody's like, okay, Swiss cheese, whatever. But Barb found a, a man in New Jersey who was so adamant about one brand of Swiss cheese. And his slogan, Barb, is? Finlandia or nada. It's yeah, either Finlandia or nothing. Finlandia <laughs> Swiss cheese. Exactly. So that Swiss cheese goes on. Then we use only two pickle, uh, dill pickle slices, not lengthwise, but cross cut because you don't want it too pickly. Pickles can be a pretty heavy flavor and you want to balance, you want to be able to taste all the flavors, not just one out of balance. Um, and then on top of that, and only the top loaf is covered in, in just yellow mustard. We, we went back and researched the original recipe about 15 years ago. Richard Gonsmart, our fourth generation owner, um, invested $35,000 to, re- to, to make this sandwich. And everybody in the company said, you, you can't do it that way anymore. It's going to cost too much. And it wound up costing eight cents more per sandwich. He's like, what are we talking about? It's a much better sandwich. So you put it on the top loaf because if you put it on the bottom loaf, it coats your tongue and all you'll taste is mustard. So it blooms on the roof of your mouth if you put it on the top loaf. Put it all together, slather it with butter, put it in a press or not. It, you know, We let people decide how they want. And then that's it. There's no mayonnaise. A lot of people try and use uh, aioli or some sort of combination of it, but it's you know if you're going to be a traditionalist and like I said, this is the Rosetta Stone. You don't put mayonnaise on it because it's not temperature stable. And this sandwich came around before the advent of refrigeration and before air conditioning, actually. So it's uh, it, this is the one that that if you're going to eat the look for the North Star on the map. This is it. Uh, Barbara, I'm going to give you the last word here. Um, you came from Miami. Uh, does the recipe that he just described jive with what you would consider the perfect Cuban sandwich? Okay, Mike, this is a trap. I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So so here's the thing. I am, I know that this is, might sound like a cop-out, but it's really not. I, like Jeff, I am a mood Cuban sandwich aficionado. When I am in Miami... And I am with people that I love and on my, you know, home turf that I grew up on and standing out of Ventanita, the Miami Cuban sandwich is absolutely delicious. And I have it with a cafe con leche. And I 100% agree, Jeff, about the kind of butter or any of the, the elements of what you're dunking in the sandwich, kind of mingling with a cafe con leche. But I've got to tell you that ever since I moved to Tampa, the, the Cuban bread from Tampa with the palmetto leaf baked in. It is crunchy and yet soft in the middle and it's delicious. And the Genoa salami does add this extra bit of flavor and savoriness that, you know, is indisputable. So that also, when I'm in Ybor City, that's what I go for and I enjoy every last bite. 
All right. Well, thanks to our guests. Barbara Cruz is professor of social science education at University of South Florida in Tampa and co-author of The Cuban Sandwich, A History in Layers. Barbara, thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much, Mike. And Jeff Houck is Vice President of Marketing for the 1905 Family of Restaurants and former food editor, writer, and blogger for the Tampa Tribune, also co-author of the book. Thanks to you as well, Jeff. My pleasure. I'm going to go out and have a Cuban sandwich. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we want to know where you get what you consider to be the best Cuban sandwich in Florida. Weigh in on WGCU's Facebook or Instagram pages, where you'll find a post asking just that question, featuring a photo of the Cuban sandwich I ate in honor of this conversation. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Callaghan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is NPR for Southwest Florida, 90.1 WGCU-FM, Fort Myers, Naples, and Punta Gorda, and 91.7 WMKO, Marco Island. We're a member-supported service of Florida Gulf Coast University. De alto cero voy para Marcané, llego a cuento voy para Mayarí.